Good morning. It's a little discouraging that that was Navon's only his second time doing announcements that he did perfect. And it took me two years to practice doing announcements when I was his age. I'm like, what? That's not fair. I got to make it harder on him. So next time I'm going to be standing in the back dressed up, pointing at him, making jokes the whole time he's doing it. Um, well, hey, before we jump into uh, the last message in our Advent series, I want to take a moment and pray for Pastor Ron Armstrong, our founding pastor. His uh, mother's health has been in decline the past few weeks, and last night she went peacefully to be with the Lord. And so let's pray for comfort for the Armstrong family. Father, we're so thankful for Pastor Ron and all the things that you've uh, done through him and his ministry. And Lord, we ask for comfort now. Lord, we're thankful that she is with you, but we know that there's a loss there and that there's grief. And so we ask that you'd be the God of all comfort, that you would help them during these times, that you'd be close to them and make your presence really known to them, Lord. And so we commit the Armstrong family to you and, and ask for your grace to be sufficient and strong in their lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for continuing to pray for, for them. We've talked about hope, peace, joy, and today we'll talk about love, uh, a gospel theme that we can focus on in the scriptures. The, the phrase love, the idea of love is paramount in the scriptures. Jesus said that's how other people are going to know that we're actually disciples, that, that this is real, is if we love one another. Paul, when, when sharing about all different kinds of great things that we can do, talking of faith, hope, and love, says the greatest of these is love. And so we, we can't fake it and say, well, I know the truth, but I'm just going to be a grumpy, rotten person that's mean to everybody, but I know the truth. No, it's, it's got to transform our hearts and make us love one another. And so today we're going to see that the birth of Jesus was a massive display of love from the Father to us, and that should inspire us towards love that is actually sacrificial and when we walk down that path and love people, it actually reminds us that we are children of God ourselves because we start to act like the Father who has loved us even though we didn't deserve it. And so we'll be looking through 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. I'm going to start off by reading it. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know we live in him and he is in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So we're going to see nine lessons on love that are inspired by the birth of Jesus and what God has done for us. And the first is this, it's love's request. 
And it's in verse seven. It says, dear friends, let us love one another. We are asked to love others no matter who they are. We are told to love other people. And we think, well, that's easy for some and not even difficult, but seemingly impossible for other people. This request is not limited to nice family and good friends, loyal friends. It's just open. We are asked to love other people. And, and we, we're not gonna be able to just say, well, I skipped that part of it. Or, or to say, okay, fine. I'll do what the Bible says and I'll put up with other people. Let us put up with other people, the Lord, the Lord says. What? I mean, imagine if that's how God described his love for us. And for God so put up with us that he sent his son to the world, right? Imagine Jesus putting his hand on a sinner and saying, oh, I'm going to put up with you. I'm going to put up with you. Oh, my heart is melting because you're putting up with me. There's no love in that at all, right? And so we have to do more than just put up with people. That's not a good definition of love. And so we have to move on to love's source. The rest of verse 7 says that love comes from God. That's where we're going to find it in God himself. God doesn't just put up with us. He loves us, but then he also gives us love. He doesn't just love us and leave us alone. He gives us his love for other people. And so to love difficult people requires an out of this world kind of love. We're not going to find inspiration for that kind of love in ourselves. You can't just like stir it up and say, just love better, love better. It's just not going to be something that makes sense to us. We're not going to be inspired to love the right way, even by other people. Although seeing that example is really helpful. And we're definitely not going to find it in the example of the world, right? It's not a, it's not a particular movie or song about love that is going to finally help us love the difficult people in our lives. No, we have to look to the source, God himself, if we want to love others with his love. So uh, maybe you've experienced this with a, a park ranger or something. You're at a national park. You're, you're somewhere where there's a beautiful stream. And sometimes, like, especially living in neighborhoods like this, when you see you're out in the, in the wilderness, you're at a park and you see a beautiful stream, you're like, maybe it's just me. I don't know. I, I want to drink that water. I just want to drink it and be primal and get down there and, and drink it. But then you always hear the park ranger say something like, well, don't do that. Or maybe a Survivor TV show. The water may look nice, but you don't know what's happening upstream. I'm going to put a picture up of, of a stream here. And, and sometimes we, we wouldn't ever really drink from stagnant water all the way over there on the left. When the, when the water just is sitting there and has a little bit of a film on the top of it, nobody says, oh yes, I will drink of this water. This really is a picture of when we say we're gonna stir up love in ourselves. And really, how are, how are we gonna actually do that? We have to look further upstream and we think, okay, now that water is flowing into that stagnant area, the flowing water, that's probably where I can drink from. But they always say, watch out, there could be a dead, deer upstream. It's always a deer or a moose. It's never any normal animal like a fish. We, we tried putting a deer on there, but it looks so sad. You can't put dead Bambi on, Christ, you know, on Sunday morning. And so there's a dead fish there with some flies and polluted water. You can't see it where you're at in the stream, but maybe there's something polluting the water upstream. So you got to keep following upstream to see if it's safe. Then you get to a waterfall and you're like, surely 
the waterfall is clean because the water's rushing down. I remember being at Yosemite Falls and the water's just pounding on the rocks and I didn't have a life straw with me or anything like that, but I just wanted to drink the water. I felt like I was far enough upstream and so I, I went for it and had this great mineral taste and I was okay. I didn't get sick, which means we'll never get sick, no. But listen, even that is dangerous. You keep going up the stream and eventually you get to snow melting. And you think, well, this is probably going to be clear. But then snow falling out of the sky, you're like, all right, that's got to be the cleanest water that I could drink here on earth is snow falling from the heavens. We have to look to God himself as the inspiration for our love. It's great when other people can show us love. It's great when we can say, oh, I gotta love more. We stir ourselves up. But the more we look at Jesus, the more we spend time with the Father, the more inspired we are going to be to love those that are around us. And so love source is from God. And as we continue in 1 John chapter four, we see love's proof that this is so important for us to show who we are in Christ. It says in verse seven, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. And so our love for others is proof that we love God. We wanna say, my love for God is proof that I love God. But the scriptures are telling us that our love for others will show that we've been born of God, that we're born again, that God has given us a new heart, made us a new creation. There is something given to the believer and it's love. Love is actually imparted to us. And so when we start to love others, it's proof that a transformation has happened. It's not just taught, it's imparted to us. Now, loving others is never going to be done perfectly on this side of eternity, but it should be present and growing even if it's not perfect. People should be able to see a measure of love. Sometimes when somebody sins against you, somebody, somebody hurts you and they're mean towards you, you wanna write them off and just say, they don't love anyone because they're not loving me. But then you may see them radically loving someone else and you realize, no, there's, there's love in them. It's present, it's growing, and it just needs to grow to expand to include me. And maybe that would be, that would be really nice for us. And so love is the evidence of salvation that we are told to look for in others. That's the change that we want to experience. So you think of a, of a car getting gas at a gas station really affordably. So it's a different state we're imagining here, different, whole different world, it's, it's heaven, right? So we're getting gas in the car. Listen, it's rarely the gas that goes into the car that causes the problem. If a car doesn't start, if a car isn't working, usually the first thing we say isn't, oh, the gas, I must've been at one of those bum gas stations that's just all watered down to try and get more money out of me. Usually the gas is fine going into the car. If it's not working, the problem is with the car. Or you think of a clogged pipe. There's water flowing into it, but it's not flowing out. It's not the water flowing in that is the problem. There's something wrong in the pipe. God's love is flowing into us. If it doesn't flow out of us, we're the problem, right? We are the ones that need to change. We can't say, well, God, if you just loved me better, oh my goodness, why would you say that to the Almighty, right? He loves us perfectly. He's so good to us. His love flows into us. Naturally, it is supposed to flow out towards 
other people. And it will be proof that God is working in our lives, that God is doing something special. So love's proof is that we love others. And we see love's definition in verse eight. It says, because God is love. Love describes the character and the heart of God, everything about him. We're told elsewhere in scripture that God is spirit, right? That God is light, that God is a consuming fire. This doesn't completely describe God, but love colors every aspect of his nature. And so the holiness of God is loving. The righteousness of God is loving. The justice of God is loving. The mercy and goodness of God, it's always colored by love. I love author uh, and pastor Paul Tripp's definition of love, and I think it lines up perfectly with what we're reading here, and so I wanna read it to you. He says, love is willing, it's willing sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. True biblical love, the love that's poured into us is going to be sacrificial, given to others, not trying to earn something back, not trying to bless them so you get blessed by them, and not because they deserve it, right? We're even told to love our enemies, let alone those that are easy to love. And so this is God's kind of love, and it comes into us through a relationship with God. And so as we draw closer to God, closer to that source, then we're given more of this love. We have more capacity to love others. Sometimes in uh, Christian marriage books, it'll, it'll give you an illustration of a, a triangle. We'll put it up on the screen here. And, and you've got God at the top, you've got the husband and wife, and the husband and wife are fighting, and, and there's all these problems. And sometimes the solution is that we need to draw closer to the Lord. And as we do that, we will grow closer to each other. And this, this actually works in, in other relationships as well. If you're having a problem with someone, sometimes you need boundaries between you and that person, how much you interact. So you have more time to draw closer to the Lord and then you have more capacity for difficult people that are in your life. And so love's definition is that God is love. He showed us what that is on the cross when he died for our sins. But he also gave us an example besides a definition. Verse nine, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the Christmas part of the message, that the father sent the son, that this all ends up in a manger. God's love here is shown to us, and specifically it's the father's love that is shown to us. It says he sent his only son into the world. This wasn't a, a haphazard thought. It wasn't a spontaneous decision. The scriptures say, before the creation of the world, the lamb was slain. The, the plan was always that the son of God would come and be sacrificed for our sins because we weren't, gonna, we weren't gonna be able to be perfect. We weren't going to be able to live with God apart from his salvation and his forgiveness. And so it all ends up on this, this one night 2000 years ago, in a humble manger where God put on flesh so that we could actually understand him. No longer do we have to think, well, I wonder what the infinite God is like because we're told that Jesus is the express image of the Father, right? We, we get to look at Jesus and see, this is how Jesus actually handles the sinners. 
We, we, think of, we think of God and we think, oh, he's so holy and perfect. He is. But then we forget about his love and his mercy until we see Jesus walking up to someone who deserves death because of their sin and pardoning them and loving them and, and having a meal with them. And we realize Jesus is really nice. Yeah, and the Father is really nice because mercy and truth go together, right? Justice and mercy go together. And so God's love is shown to us by example in sending his son. And there's an intended result from this that we might live through him. God didn't just come to die and take away the sins of the world, but to give us strength to live through him. It's no longer our way that we live. It's God's way. We are no longer king over our own kingdom. We say, no, we are in God's kingdom, so he's king. What does he want us to do? And we live through him, and we're able to do things we could never do before because the Spirit of God is dwelling in us. Now, we didn't earn this. Notice it says here, not that we loved God. We didn't initiate it, and we didn't earn it. And often we reject the love of God. And so we're not the example. God is the example. We ran and rebelled, not embraced. But we needed it, right? We needed the love of God. The last verse we just read says that, that he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That our sins were so bad, whether we want to declare them that or not, that there needed to be bloodshed for our sins. Now, we're a society that's really far away from, from animal sacrifice. It's just not a part of our, of our culture. It happens today still in Nepal and, and different countries and, and different religions. But, but we, we're kind of really removed from the blood of the animal. Sometimes you talk to kids and you finally give them that breakthrough moment where you're like, you know, that's a cow, right? Like, or that's like a little chicken, right? And they're like, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you, what do you mean? My, my wife says that there was a few months where she just refused to eat, you know, meat because she loved cows so much. It was always her favorite and she was mortified. Can you imagine a little kid that got stuffed animals of cows and they love them and all of a sudden they realize they're eating the cow? It's a, I mean, even as adults, sometimes you're like, I just don't want to think about that. I just need, I need to get it processed a bit before, before I eat it. And then there's others that just go into the wild and attack the animal themselves and cook it up in that moment. There's two different kinds of people in the world and that's okay. Listen, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to swallow. No, literally, that was a pun there, but that was an accident. It will not happen second service. Listen, we, we're far removed sometimes even from, from types of war and, and difficulties where it's hard for us to look at our sin and say, well, I'm not as bad as, as I think. We think, well, I'm not as bad as that person. We look at uh, different situations and say, well, that person really needs an atoning sacrifice. No, Mother Teresa needed Jesus' shed blood for her to enter into eternity. It's all of us that need this. I like how James Montgomery Boyce talks about this example. He says, if God had merely sent Jesus to teach us about himself, that would have been wonderful enough. It would have been far more than we deserved. If God had sent Jesus simply to be our example, that would have been good too and would have had some value. But the wonderful thing is that God did not stop with these, but rather sent his son, not merely to teach or to be our example, but to die the death of a felon that he might save us from sin. God is not only our example, he's our savior, right? He's the one doing the rescuing. His example of love is to rescue a sinner, something we should think on when others are, are, are making sin evident in their lives by their, 
their pain that they're throwing at us. And it, it hurts us, but we realize they're a sinner that needs Jesus to rescue them. And so we have love's example, but we also have love's logic in verse 11. If all this makes sense to us, it says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's a rational argument. It's reasonable. It makes sense is what John is saying. If we can understand the love of God for us, loving others is possible because it's not comparable. To us, it feels impossible to, to love a difficult person that has already harmed us. And we think this is the greatest thing ever. I, I could never do this. It's too, it's too much until we compare it to God loving sinners who have rebelled against him. And we realize God gave the greatest gift. He loved the most sacrificially. I'm able to love, and I don't mean this to, you know, reduce the, the pain or the broken relationship you have, but, but we're able to love in this smaller way. Even if it's the biggest thing we've ever done in our life, we're able to do that. And we grow in that as we meditate on the great sacrifice of God. When I was a youth pastor, so this is a long time ago, uh, 15, 17 years ago, uh, there was a chance for me to be a good youth pastor and teach a kid this lesson. We had this, this kid on the, the camp bus going up to winter camp that had a gallon-sized Ziploc bag full of Skittles. He didn't buy it from a bulk store. They emptied other Skittle packages into this huge thing. And on the bus, all the kids are sharing their food, except for the stingy little kid who's like, no, these are all mine. So I heard him nonstop telling people, no. They're like, oh man, you have so many. Can I have one? They're asking for one. He has like a, a few thousand. They just want one. He goes, no, no, these are mine. Eat your own snacks. And so finally, I'm like, this little kid needs a lesson before camp even starts, right? I'm not sure what kind of mood I was in. I'm not saying this is a good example. I'm just saying it happened. It's just history. All right. And so I went over to him and I said, hey, um, can I have some Skittles? And he goes, no. <laughs> Even to the leader, he's saying no. And I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. I'll just take the colors that nobody likes. And I left it at that. And so he's thinking about it. He goes, okay. So I take the bag of Skittles and I begin to pick out every single red and pink flavor, which everybody likes. Um, and I pretended that, I, that, I, that nobody likes those flavors. And, and so he's thinking all the yellows, greens, and oranges are getting taken away, which I'm really just purifying his bag of Skittles is what he thinks. No, that, those shouldn't even be in the bag. But I took all the red and the, the pink out, big handfuls, handed him back a bag of just yellow, green, and orange, and then handed out all the other ones to the other kids. And I taught him an important lesson in life that when God has given you so much or when your mother has given you so much, you need to share a little. I'm not saying it was even a Christian thing that I did. It felt good in my, I wanna say heart, but maybe it was my flesh that felt really good. And I'm sure he has not forgotten this and loves Jesus to this day. Listen, it, but it's logical. Like really you can't share one Skittle when your mama gave you all those Skittles and you didn't even buy them yourself. And so we look at other people and say, I can't love them because I'm offended by what they've done. Well, God's, God's offended at our sin. I, I can't love them because I'm insulted by what they've said to me. Well, God's insulted by us. Well, I can't love them because they don't deserve it. Well, we don't deserve God's love. It's logical though, when we realize how much the scale has been tipped to love us, even though we are undeserving. And we apply that in our smaller situation and realize maybe the Lord is trying to stretch me and grow me, make me more into the image of his son. 
We also see love's reach in verse 12. It says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This love that we're talking about today is so important because God is invisible. He's real, but he's invisible. And so God devised a powerful way to reveal himself to others. He shares his love with his children so much that they begin to love others sacrificially in a way that is so different, so unique that others see God through his children, right? That, that God continues to pour out his love on those through us, right? We are the reason why others get to see God. They see a transformation in us and they realize, how could you be this inspired to love me so sacrificially? This actually hurt. This took up your time. This costs money and you're doing it for me. And I know what I said to you. I know what, it's not that you forgot those things I've done to you, but it's that you're allowing forgiveness and love to overcome all of that. Invisible love needs an incarnation. Jesus did that for us and we can do that for other people. And so this is crucial. If love is to reach those that are in darkness, then it needs to happen through us. Yes, people can find a Bible on a bench and they can open the Bible and read the Gospel of John and give their lives to the Lord. And that happens. People can just be walking along and, and God can give them a thought. They could be at rock bottom and feel the love of the Lord through a song that they hear. But God has designed it so he doesn't always have to work in those unique supernatural ways, but in the way that he did with his son, where he has already inspired us through the sacrifice of Jesus to love other people. And now our love can reach those that can't see God without a tangible expression of love, showing them change can happen. And that this is a powerful love. So the mature Christian is going to grow in love and be marked by love. We've talked so much about love, we can't forget love's truth, right? Love's truth, verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so with so much talk about love, we're reminded by John that he isn't forgetting the truth, the truth of the gospel, because it is not enough to just have love in this life. And they say, well, I'm a loving person. I don't need Jesus. I'm not going to follow Jesus. I'm just going to be loving. That isn't gonna work. We have to speak the truth in love. We have to believe the truth unto love. You can't just create your own definition and say, well, I'm going to love in this way and be so kind and helpful to other people and I don't need Jesus. Then you're not acknowledging the truth that we are all sinners deserving punishment. But, but Jesus saved us from all of that. Now we have to acknowledge, the scripture says in verse 15, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, then God lives in them. Right, this is going to be the truth that balances everything out. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is not to continue to enable somebody in their bad decisions and their sin. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is to have an awkward moment where you push somebody towards the truth 
rather than pretending like Jesus doesn't matter. Sometimes that's the most loving thing to do. Sometimes the most loving thing to do is just to listen for, for hours and days and weeks until you feel that perfect moment to pray with someone and, and bring them to Jesus. But that moment has to come because you need love and truth. It's the truth of God that we believe that changes our hearts and makes us into a loving person. And so this scripture tells us that more than just hoping that we're going to heaven and more than just hoping that we are saved, we can have assurance of our salvation. If we acknowledge that Jesus is the savior, that he is the son of God, then we can know that God is living in us. So we have to balance that out and have truth and love. Now, society is going to tell you the only way to truly love is by not speaking Christian truth at people. You just have to realize that that is a society opinion, not a God opinion. You have to decide if you believe that God actually created the heavens and the earth, that he actually loves us and is good towards everyone, no matter the choices of rebellion that they're making against him. And you have to say, do I believe God? If God really is loving and good and this is his truth, then at the right moment with tact, I'm going to share truth with people, not just embrace their version of love, which doesn't involve truth. That's probably the most difficult thing that we have to do, right? We can, we can hide away and avoid it all. Or if we, if we do what Jesus did and spend time around those that don't know who he is in such a way where they feel love, they, we were hanging out with them over meals. They know that they're loved. They know that they're real friends, not just projects that we're working towards salvation. Then there will come a time where we have to speak truth into their lives. And this is difficult. And so we end by talking about love's strength in verse 16. It says, we know and rely on love, the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. It's very normal for us to have this reaction to this kind of love. I can't love like this. I just can't do it. This is beyond me. Exactly. It is impossible apart from a God who is telling us that he will do the impossible in our lives. Without God, it's completely impossible to love the unlovable, to love those that have hurt you, to love those that you're, you, just, you just completely disagree with everything that they're about. God can give us a real gentle love towards everybody. But to have that kind of strength means like the scripture says, we need to rely on the love God has for us. An appropriate response to this would be to say to God, Lord, you know, I can't love others the way you want me to do. And maybe even more honestly, this is like the quiet whisper prayer, not the one you say out loud. Lord, I don't even want to love these people. And if you're honest in your heart, you may say like, I, I kind of want God to judge them, but I get all the mercy. And those are crazy thoughts that are missing out on love's logic. But those are natural thoughts. Those are distracted thoughts. When you're distracted away from the truth of God's word, you can think thoughts like that that aren't loving. And so we need to be honest with the Lord and say, Lord, I can't do it. Can you do that work in me? You've promised to do that work in me. Lord, you've given me a love for some people. I want a love for everybody. You've got to do that because as much as I try, I pull back and say, no, I'm done. And when I pretend that I'm loving sacrificially, I know in my heart, it's just a little thing. It's not a real, a real sacrifice. Lord, remind me of the sacrifice of Jesus so I can love others the way that you have loved me. This is not easy to do. 
And maybe you're thinking of, of one person, one family, one group of individuals in particular, that God is asking you to love more sacrificially this Christmas season. Don't put it off and say, yeah, 2023 goals. By the end of 2023, I'm going to show sacrificial love to this person. No, this season is a great season for reaching out to broken relationships. Is there someone the Lord is putting on your heart that is difficult to love, that doesn't deserve love, that God is calling you to love? Then let love's reach be towards them this holiday season. God's gonna have to give us that strength, but, but when he does, we are the ones that are blessed because it reminds us of love's proof that we really are children of God because we don't wanna do it, but God's giving us the strength to do it. So he's overcoming our flesh by the spirit. And we realize I really am a child of God. I wouldn't say I'm perfect. I wouldn't even say I'm good, but I'm a child of God because God's word is changing my life. God's spirit is giving me strength to do things I could never do before. So Father, make clear who that person is in our lives. Lord, we don't even, we don't want you to do that even. We just want to pretend like we're doing fine, but none of us are doing fine when it comes to this. Lord, all of us can grow in our love. Lord, show us the truth that there's room for growth and that we're the ones that are going to be blessed by having less bitterness, less strife, less arguments. Lord, who is it that you want us to reach out to? What relationships have ended or just gone quietly stale that, that you want us to revive? What, a, what an amazing reflection on our own salvation it would be if we grabbed a hold of the strength that you're telling us you'll give us to reach out and love others like you did for us. Please do that work in our hearts, Lord. Who knows the amazing good that could come from it? Who knows how you're going to touch someone else's heart that has been hardened, but you could use this relationship to soften it for the greater good, not of our pride staying intact, but as we humble ourselves, the greater good of you drawing that person closer to Jesus and reminding them that you love them. The hardest thing for us to do, it shouldn't be when we look at the incomparable love we've been given by you. So do that work in our heart. In Jesus' name we ask it, amen. Well, I hope that you'll join us on Saturday for one of our four services. And the Sunday morning Christmas AM online service was, was filmed in my living room. We had to do a lot of takes. My kids acted their ages, and so you're not gonna wanna miss it. So you can, you can stream that on, on Sunday morning, but we'll see you this Saturday. God bless.